I love today's podcast. Uh, I will start with reassessing my Tua take from a week ago. He was incredible. A couple other things I'll get to the NFL. I could have gone for an hour straight, but we're going to let Trent Dilfer do that. He's talking Tua. He's talking Kyler. A little Dallas in there. Some really disappointing thoughts on Trey Lance with this latest injury. And we don't seem to lose any bets, but we're not going to be arrogant about it. But we have an incredible record, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Sarudi has a system? Question mark? Exclamation point. And life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Didn't look like a great slate to start the weekend for week two of the NFL, but the closing windows of the early games and then the afternoon games, I mean, this is nuts. I mean, we didn't even deserve a close game at the end of Sunday night because the end of these two windows were incredible, massive comebacks, history all over the place. We'll get to it. But that's not why you're here. No. I know why you're here. You want to talk about Tua. So last week, I said, with some reservation, because I don't think I normally do that, because I was like, you know what? Two years of this. Watch the Pats game. By the way, I know a lot of people think like it was a Pats-related lean. I don't care about the Pats. I just I don't even think they're that good. I'm indifferent on Mac Jones. Maybe they're going to run the football a ton. Winning at Pittsburgh against Trubisky is not that big of a deal, especially with Watt being out. So I just watched it. It was like, hey, they won, but it doesn't feel any different. And I said, I think he might be a backup or he is a backup. I, mean, I even said as, as I was doing it, I'm like, yeah, I don't normally do this, but this is how I feel. And I wrote it down and now I'm going to say it. And then that's the breakout video. And in the first half of the game against Baltimore, I felt the same way. I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then he turned into a Hall of Famer. 469 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, I mean, he hits he hits Gusecki on that third down, which is incredible. Hill twice, Waddle. He had that rollout against pressure where he threw it. Granted, being left-handed was perfect for him in that spot. He he put on an absolute show against a Baltimore team now. Defensively, you know, it's too early this year, but this is kind of a weird trend because they've had some bad defensive teams. This is arguably, statistically, if you go on expected points allowed defensively, this is Baltimore's worst defensive performance in 382 games. Uh, and Tua shred them. And what was unfair about what I said was that this is a new system, a new coach that clearly trusts him way more than the previous regimes that he's dealt with. Uh, 
you know, looking back at Flores and some of the stuff that they would do him again, Brian Flores is, is a defensive guy. He's not exactly calling the offensive plays, but it was just very clear they did not trust their quarterback. And that's one of the first things I look at. I'll never forget it with Mitch Trubisky in Chicago. It's like, oh, they don't, they don't trust him. And I'm not saying that Mitch should be trusted, but you can start to see the way a team calls plays for the QBs. These QBs that are in this category of the unknown, the way they call plays will tell you a lot about how the the staff feels about him. And then that will influence how I will feel about the quarterback. Really, hell, if these guys have him in practice every single day, then, then how would I know better than they do? But what was unfair is that he's loaded with weapons. I think they did some really smart stuff with Tua where it was quick where it was, hey, this is automatically what's going to be an easier throw, but it's going to be quick. It's going to be a pivot out to the left. It's going to be show something here, and then it's this is one throw, where instead of having you have to drop back and stay in the pocket all day long like this traditional passer, which isn't even, like guys are rolling out all over the place now, um, that part of it all was unfair. Now, the reason for my disappointment, even talking about him last week and the way that I did, was that it's because I actually liked him so much is that I thought he was going to be really good. I thought he had this extra thing that I'm always trying to find when I'm evaluating quarterbacks, which I think is just really hard to identify because if I can't do it, hell, if they can't do it, they do it for a living. I don't expect that I'm going to be able to do it all the time. Um, and so, you know, was it that he was awful? Well, you know, when the defense was below average for Miami, two had been one and eight. If the defense carried them, then they could win some football games. They had that run last year where I really think it had more to do with the schedule and the defense and field position than it did with just Tua being better than maybe some of us were giving him credit for. But it's like if Christopher Nolan wrote a movie where, again, Tua's not exactly Christopher Nolan yet. He was in the second half. But if Christopher Nolan, like I like the movie Overboard. Check it out, kids. But if Christopher Nolan wrote Overboard, I'd be like, eh, really, dude? We're going from memento to this? Again, overboard's pretty good. Would expect a little bit more for Christopher Nolan. So now the question is, have I changed my mind? Have you been listening to me at all for the last few years? It's going to take a little bit more than an absurd, an absurdly productive, historic, all of the adjectives you want to throw on this thing. He was awesome. It could be because of the new regime and the trust and the weapons. This is the start of something new. But I'm not going to just dive headfirst in the opposite direction of how I felt about him for two plus years. But awful timing, legendarily bad timing. And I will admit, as I said it last week, I still felt somewhat unfair about coming to that conclusion after just one game with a new regime. Kyler Murray's the best athlete in the NFL. What he did yesterday against the Raiders, down 20 to nothing, coming back, winning that game 29 23 in overtime. He is the best athlete in the NFL. And I also don't think it's sustainable. We all saw the two-point conversion. You've seen it by now. 85-yard scramble that took 21 seconds. It is the same guy that I remember watching at A&M the first time, thinking like, wait, there's a quarterback ahead of Kyler Murray. The first time I watched him at A&M, I kept hearing about him. I remember Avery Johnson telling me about him when he was in high school, when Avery was with his ESPN. He's like, wait, you know, I'm not going to do the Avery, but you can vision it, right? You can already hear it in your head. And he's like, oh, he's this baseball kid. He's this football kid. And so I, you know, I was kind of like paying a little bit more attention to him. And he immediately, when he got on the field, you're like, what are you talking? Like, this is insane. His ability to run away from people. Think about Max Crosby had him. He had him. And Kyler Murray, the diminutive Kyler Murray, was able to get away and make a play. Uh, we know without John Dre Hopkins, this team is not as good. Winning record with him, losing record without him, almost a touchdown worst on offense. It looked like it was happening again because Kyler just wasn't that good for most of this game. But allow me a Joe Burrow comp. 
Because Burrow yesterday, getting his ass kicked again with four new offensive line members of that unit, right? They changed that in the offseason. We knew it was a big problem. It's a bigger problem now. I don't know what the hell's going on. He's on pace to now be sacked 111 times. That would be a lot. I don't think it's going to happen. But he's getting his ass kicked. And that Cowboys game was a grind. A grind. But a really good quarterback starts to realize, okay, these are the things that aren't working, and now I have to adapt to the things around me. All right? I can't rely on, on blocking. Or if, hey, nobody's getting open, I need to step up the risk on some of my throws. And that becomes, as I mentioned, how often I'm trying to figure out this quarterback riddle, that becomes something. Because I used to think like, oh, no interceptions, that's the best. Never turns the football over. No interceptions is actually bad, unless I think you're like the Rodgers or the prime Brady's or maybe even Mahomes. But at some point, you have to up your risk, as I've mentioned. And for some of these QBs now that have these awesome TD interception ratios, I'm like, yeah, but that's actually kind of bad because it tells me you are safe all of the time when your team needs you to not be safe. And that's what Burrow, granted, he's unsafe behind <laughs> behind that O-line. But that's what Burrow does and gives his team still a chance. Granted, they lost in the last second field goal to Dallas, but gave himself a chance where for three hours, nothing is working out. You look up and you go, wait, this game is tied now? And that's what I look at with the Kyler part of this. I'm not saying he's Burrow. Uh, I'm not saying he's one of those guys that finds a way, but he did it yesterday when it looked like it was going awful for him that nothing was working on offense. So if he's anything like that, if he's one of the quarterbacks where it doesn't look pretty the entire time uh, because I don't love the scrambling, I don't know how it holds up. I know it's a really, really great weapon. I think it's really great in week two. I don't know how it's going to look in week 13. I've seen it before. It seems like his hits, when he's hurt, it lingers a little bit longer. We saw that at the end of the year last year. But now for Arizona, that start, when you go 0-2, 11.3% chance of making the playoffs versus a 42% chance when you go 1-1. One one. Denver looked like for a while yesterday they were going to go 0-2, which would have meant losses to Seattle and Houston to start the season. If you look at the talent around the NFL, I think a good argument to be made that Houston and Seattle are among two of the worst rosters in the league. Uh, maybe Chicago would be in that group too. Maybe we'll have a surprise a little bit later on from now. I don't think you'd put Jacksonville uh, in that group anymore. Granted, no certain. Judy ends up going out. Simmons, the safety, ends up going out. But they're they're losing at home to the Houston Texans. And I'm like, are they really going to go 0-2? Russell Wilson coming in. And really, a, a nice group of skill guys. Can I just do an aside here? Can we pretend that no one's actually offended by skill players versus non-skill players? Like, we get that O-line, D-line, linebacker, safeties, and all of you have amazing skills, that it's actually not an insult. It's just, it's just a thing we'll call it. Guys that touch the football more. I guess that would be less offensive. Guys that touch the ball more instead of skill players. But anyway. All right, so let's talk about Hackett. Because he is now, he's arguably got the lowest approval rating of a head coach on social media in two weeks. This is a new record for the quickest, lowest Q rating ever for a head coach. 25 flags in two games. The red zone numbers suck. It's all passes, which apparently, and the theories appear to be on this one, uh, to appease Russ and letting him cook a little bit more. But the fans started counting down the play clock in Denver, their own fans, to help them out. Why? Well, let's run through the ends of halves here because it's hard to be this bad this often, this quickly into the season. 
Uh, the end of the first half against Houston, fourth and goal at the one, delay a game, fourth and six, they end up making the field goal, tie it up at 6-6. Six, six. All right, whatever. Second half, Denver's down 9-6, third and one. They run that tight end option. Uh, they lose a yard on that one. They line up for a 54-yard field goal attempt. They get another delay a game, and then they punt. They burned timeout by not having a punt returner on the field. They also burned another timeout because they didn't get a play in after a sack. Why did that matter? Because it's a week after they didn't use a timeout uh, from about 111 to 20 seconds left at the end of the game at Seattle where they brought Russell Wilson in and then they took him back out. They still had two timeouts left. I guess you could argue that Hackett was trying to at least play it safe with this stuff. Uh, I would actually rather not get cute with the clock because I also think penalty flags are thrown around so much on pass interference and defensive holding that when the clock or when your downs reset and you thought you were getting really cute by being like, we're only going to score with this much time left, I think I'd actually have more chances, even if it means I'm leaving a little bit more clock there. That's my own theory. Discuss if you must. So they don't use the timeout until 20 seconds left, two left, and then they bring Russ out and they decide, now let's kick a 64-yard field goal, which according to the stats in the NFL since 1991, teams are 2-35 on field goals from that distance or longer. So Wilson starts 6-20 in this game, 6-19 in the first half against Houston. It's his worst off, uh, I think his worst completion percentage in a half in his entire career. And then Denver starts booing him. They win this game. That's kind of irrelevant. Because the booing part in the Russell Wilson thing, which is so surprising, I want to talk about booing here a little bit. Would I ever boo? No. I work in the media. I'm not the person that should be answering this question. I guess if I brought a couple kids and made a sign and I was in my 40s and start booing like crazy, I don't know that I would do that. Again, I'm not a parent and I'm a member of the media. So I'm not the best person to ask. But I also think that the media, when they got on Seattle's case, when they were booing Russell Wilson in his return, for them to be like, how could you boo this guy? He's the greatest quarterback in franchise history, which is true. But that's not really the point. It's emotional. It's always weird when the person who has no emotional attachment thinks they should tell the person with the emotional attachment how they should feel. Doesn't mean the advice is wrong, but it's just a lot easier for the person that doesn't care. I don't care. Many of the media members that I saw for that Monday Nighter do not care. But Russell Wilson wanted out. He wanted out of your city. And when somebody decides they don't want to be associated with your franchise or your city and the thing that you care about, maybe sometimes care about a little too much. Uh, there's going to be a negative reaction. Guess what happens? Russell Wilson will have his name up in the stadium years from now, retire his jersey. Everyone will cheer him. And that will be the moment where they are grateful for what he brought to that city. But when it's pretty clear the guy wanted out for a long time and it just started to get weirder and weirder. And the other thing that I would add to this is this kind of backs up everything I always knew or thought about Wilson, where if I could have invested in, I don't know about that guy, I would have been able to retire because I feel like I was ahead of it. And I was always confused why people would ever even argue with me about it. Um, we've had two former receivers, Doug Baldwin, basically send out a little petty tweet. I don't even know what it was, just sort of a cheerleader after Seattle lost, uh, or excuse me, after Seattle beat Russell Wilson in Denver and you know his return back home on that Monday nighter. Now you could say, hey, he's just a Seahawk, not a big deal. Uh, no, no. And then Richard Sherman did the same thing yesterday while Wilson was struggling. That's two former teammates. That doesn't really happen a lot. It's happened with Aaron Rodgers and former teammates. Um, I remember one of the offensive linemen for the Steelers kind of called out Le'Veon Bell a little bit on the holdout, which is weird because you're just not used to offensive linemen seeming like they're anything but team first. But it just, I think, hammers home a point that, you know, when Wilson's playing great, you are you sign up for all of it, as I would too. But, like, I was reading this preview of that Seahawks-Denver game from The Athletic, and there was a quote in there that just kind of hammers home all the stuff that I've been trying to say. Here's the, here's the article. Uh, before the NFL draft in April, 
which Wilson recounted last week in the quarterback's telling, he was invited into GM George Patton's office, again, the Broncos GM, while Patton was studying draft-eligible wide receivers and asked to contribute to the evaluation process. Quote from Wilson, we watched every single receiver, literally. And when I say every single receiver, we watched every single receiver for about a good hour, hour and a half, two hours. We watched every single guy. And then we came across this guy named Montreal Washington. We looked at each other and said, hey, he may be the one. There were 87 draft-eligible wide receivers for the 2022 draft. If you're saying hour, hour and a half, two hours, let's average it out to 90 minutes. That's 87 receivers, 90 minutes. It's 130 hours. That means if you're watching film on receivers three hours a day because you got kids and other stuff going on, that's 43 days spent watching receivers. Maybe they doubled up. Maybe it was 22. Guess what probably didn't happen? That. Moving on. How about the Browns? All right. Quoting Mike Santos, (laughs) historic collapses. Uh, a lot went wrong for the Browns to lose this, lose this game up 13. Um, I know a lot of people saying Chubb should have just knelt before going into the end zone. I don't know. Two touchdown lead, minute and a half left. Probably feel pretty good about it. Uh, Kareem Hunt going out of bounds before the two-minute warning at 2.02 to me is much worse uh, than Chubb going out of bounds because you figure we're going to be good. Kate York misses the extra point. So teams leading... By 13 points with two minutes to 130 left in a game, we're 201 and zero since 2000. What if they had made the extra point? Again, Sando points out the team's up 14 with two minutes to 130 to go. We're 338 and one. The only loss, the Browns to the Bears in 2001. For college football, I'm gonna I'm gonna start ranking uh, because we're gonna have an expanding playoff to 12 teams where we're gonna reward some teams for never playing anybody out of conference and having an easy division. And then they're gonna have a chance to win a national championship. Awesome, sweet. Uh, it will happen, and people will go. Wait, was Rosillo right about this? But that's okay. Whatever, it's happening. Uh, I'm gonna rank the top 12 teams. I'm gonna do it starting Wednesday. I could do some A and M Miami stuff here. Uh, it was a pretty light slate. I mean, I could talk about college football all day. I could do an hour on the NFL. I'm not going to do that. We're going to ask Trent about some of these things. But yeah, coming up Wednesday, I'm going to rank the top 12 in college football. And we're going to do it every single week. Football season is underway, so now's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with a promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Okay, uh, it needs to be discussed. Everybody won their bet again this weekend, too, including two same-game parlays. Yeah. Well, I did. Yeah, same game. Kyle still has one leg left, but we're feeling confident about it tonight because he did. Yours was like plus three, 300, Kyle. You had like a long shot bet. Yeah, it's on my board right now. It's plus 304. Yeah. So, so what do you need to have happen tonight for you to close Vikings that? just have to win. Vikings just have to beat the I Eagles, which I think it. is probably fine. And then we're six well, and I don't on know. our bets. That feels a little confident. So that would be six and oh. So I think we're 22 and four. Maybe we did figure something out. No. I've been around way too long. All right. Do you want to share what your thing is here? Do we just, because you, Sarudi, just so the audience understands this, Sarudi's been telling me for like the last couple of weeks, and I guess it started with soccer that he goes, I figured out a way in the same game parlay to adjust the line. And he thinks he's cracked the code. I've seen too many people get their 
<laughs> dicks kicked in in this game for too long to think anybody that's ever figured any code out other than Haralabob betting the overs in the second half, which was just a stroke of genius and even more genius once you realize how basic it was. I think there's probably a little bit more to it um, with, with just how good he was and, and why people hold him to such legendary status. But we're on fire and I'm just been, I've just been looking at whatever the highest public money is and giving out. The, I didn't even like giving out Dallas and they, they won the game and they were getting seven and a half on FanDuel. So that's what I'm going to stick with. And you guys are crushing the parlays, which is because I still think in our standings thing, when you win in the same game parlay, it should count as two wins versus my straight up win. Like you guys should get two wins in our standings and I should only get one picking something straight up because the parlays like this is not. So, all right, fine. Tell us, Rudy, what is happening? That's why I shouldn't get credit for every individual pick because I'm taking adjusted lines in total. So like I had the Packers, for example, last weekend, I think they were a 10 and a half point favorite against the Bears. I had them at six and a half. So all they had to do is win by a touchdown. Okay. And I just parlay that with like a higher total and take the under. And that's you're you're going to win. Like, I think it's a better option than teasing. I'm not a gambling expert. Nobody really is. I kind of think. I mean, I think some people kind of have their their nose to the ground. Well, there are. At it, but there, there are people that like Stanford Steve is really I mean. I get it. He's he's really good at that. I think the gambling hardo thing is really annoying. The gambling back and forth stuff is is very odd. Like as soon as you pick something and it goes wrong, it's like oh, I always knew. I was always you know like every guy out there is just wants. I don't know. People want this gambling cred. Hey, fine, cool, take it all. You can have it all. Like I'm the not fighting for it. Is perfect. The band analogy is perfect. Yeah, it's like oh cool. Now we can't also enjoy this because you were here first. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, no, awesome, dude. Cool. All right. Uh, all right, I think we have it then. So wait, you, you're adjusting the lines, but you still have to b- hit both. What are the payouts then? It's about are even you- money. I, I used to try to aim for even money. Like another good example would be like week one. I took the Chiefs money line against the Cardinals, parlayed that with Patrick Mahomes over 250 yards passing, and then an adjusted over of 39 and a half. Like those two teams are going to score a ton. That's going to hit more often than it's not. Like it just is. And it's even money. Uh, I think that it's going to hit more often than it's not. It could sound a tad <laughs> aggressive. On hey, your listen, end, but... my FanDuel account uh, begs to differ right now. Well, good for you, man. Good for you. All right. And Kyle, you're on fire. So we'll see what happens uh, with Minnesota tonight. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, with this kind of start, that's absurd. You might want to start fading us, but we're still going to give you out those picks. The first thing I'm looking at for this week is another heavy public Bet, uh, percentage of the bets now, almost 90% on the Niners minus one at Denver. Nobody likes Denver right now, so that's why I'm probably going to give out Denver. We'll see what happens with that line if it moves. Another public number that's really big, uh, the Chiefs minus six and a half at the Colts. 87% of the bets are on the Chiefs. Uh, and this is according to the one website that I use that tracks this, so you could get a slightly different percentage somewhere else, but it's pretty revealing. Like You can see where the money split down the middle. You can also see there's a difference between money and percentage of bets. So that's what I've been going with because I actually think the history of that is better than just going, hey, this team's better than that team. I'm going to lay a touchdown. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. That was almost a FanDuel segment. They should be thrilled. You can combine your bets for a chance at bigger payouts with a same-game parlay. The app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And when you win, you get paid fast. So sign up today with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N, for your no-sweat-first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expired 
In 14 days, restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP-LOUISIANA. 1-877-8-STOP. Hope New York or text Hope New York to 467 369 New York. Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789. Tennessee 1 800 522 4700 Wyoming or visit 1 800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it'd been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Every other Monday with Trent Dilfer. So let's start with it. Uh, I After week one of Tua, I was like, I don't know, man. You know, if it doesn't happen in year two, it's alarming. I know they won. And then he puts on an absolute show in week two. So thoughts? Well, I think the biggest thing is the 17 and 8 in 25 starts. This game is about winning. Um He's been a winner forever. And I do think there's something to do guys being a winner since they came out of the womb. Um, some guys know how to win. Some guys don't. Um, he's always been a winner. I think he's going to win in the NFL. Is he going to always do it the way the modern day fan, the fantasy owners want him to do it? Probably not. He is conservative by nature uh, in a good way. He takes his spots when he takes, you know, he takes, uh, he looks for opportunities to take chances, but he's not going to take a lot. Um, and I think he's got the perfect fit now, fit now on Coach McDaniel. Let's not forget Coach McDaniel has behind the scenes been a guy that the guys that know football in the NFL will say is the next Sean McVay. Um, he is kind of that boy wonder, play caller, play designer. Um, and now, and he likes Dua. And I think it matters when you like your quarterback. You like what he has to offer. You like the skill set that he has. Um, you have two explosive perimeter guys in Tyreek Hill and Waddle that are also jack-of-all-trade guys. They're not one-dimensional like an A.J. Green that can only show up out on the perimeter. They're guys that can play outside, inside. They can, they can be creative with them as ball, ball carriers, whether they're from the running back position or from the slot bubble type guy. Uh, it gives you a lot of flexibility offensively when you're creative uh, as an offensive play caller. So a long-winded way of saying, I told everybody so. Just kidding. Um, this is what you need if you're Tua. You you need this type of offense around you. Now, 
a lot of that was Baltimore's dysfunction. A lot of it, you know, he should not have thrown six touchdowns. But if he only throws three in that game and they lose by 14, I still think he plays pretty well. I thought he played well the first week. Uh, I think he's doing what he's asked to do. Uh, they haven't started running the ball to the expectation of, of Coach McDaniel. I think they will. Uh, I think there's really positive signs that this is going to be a quote-unquote breakout year for Tua. Is he going to be the MVP? No. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? No. Uh, is he going to get MVP votes? Uh, even no. But I think you're going to see this year being the year where everybody goes, okay, now I'm starting to see uh, how this guy can be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I love what McDaniel is doing in, and I don't, I don't know if this is like part of the, the growth of like opening things up, right? Because like it's even with two, it's like, wait, I've got Tyreek on, like just busting up the coverage back there. All right, well now, you know, let's make sure I'm looking for that here. Uh, I thought the rollout play to his left, where he he gets away from the pass rush and then you know lines it up perfectly. The Gasecki throw, the wall throw. I mean, these are these are awesome throws. But I also see McDaniel doing some stuff for him where it's like, we don't want you even thinking. We don't want you thinking. We want we want the ball out this quickly to kind of get the rhythm going here. And, you know, sometimes I'll be like, well, is that because they don't want him back there traditionally going through all of his reads? Because I actually thought at Bama, like, that was one of the things I really liked about him. He was one of the rare college quarterbacks where I felt like he was looking at the different levels and throwing with anticipation. And, and look, it wasn't one read and then fucking run like half the guys I watch on Saturday. I thought he had all of those things, but I think McDaniels is mixing up what they're asking him to do, which either keeps him engaged, the defense guessing or whatever. But like, I just liked it because it seemed like there was just more to it than what I've seen in the previous two years. Yeah, okay. So let's get into this because you let me kind of do some long-form stuff here. Um, you're actually bringing up what I think is a topic that nobody will really understand, but they need to know about. When those of us in the football world that respect each other in the quarterback world, get together and talk about offense, play calling, uh, whatever it is. So your list of your favorite guys. So we're, in, we're all in this big inner circle together. Um, we talk about what you just said, and that is the quarterback should not be expected for 30 times a game to drop back and play the position the way the fan thinks he should play the position. You're actually doing your quarterback a disservice by doing that. The best way to develop a team, an offensive team, a quarterback, uh, receivers, runners, offensive line, is to give them these, what we call freebies. You should be good enough as a coach. You should work hard enough as a coach to give your players freebies. Plays where they don't have to think. We out-X and owed them, and we're going to make you look really good doing so. By the way, this happens for Aaron Rodgers, people. He doesn't put on the Superman cape 32 times a game. He plays about 15 plays a game where he has to be Aaron Rodgers. Um, anybody that plays for Sean McVay gets to do this. Uh, anybody that plays for Mike McDaniel gets to do this. Anybody that plays for Kyle Shanahan gets to do this. Anybody that plays for Lincoln Riley gets to do this. Anybody that plays for Ryan Day gets to do this. Anybody that plays for Chip Kelly gets to do this. Anybody that plays with those 15 to 20 guys out there that are really, really, really good at offense. Um, you will not be expected to do fulfill reads a bunch. You'll be expected on third and eight to do it. You'll be expected when you're down 21 to do it. But we're going to call a game where we're going to take some of that burden from you. Uh, my quarterback threw six touchdowns the other night. 
uh, four of them, he didn't have to think about a thing. It was told to him, and he just knew it by when he went to line of scrimmage. He was getting the ball, how he was going to get it, and how he was going to score. We just outcoached the team for four touchdowns. He earned two of them. Two of them, he went and played quarterback better than most high school kids can play. Watch Caleb Williams play at USC this year. He'll throw 45 and be my guests this year. Or he'll account for 45 to 50 this year. He'll earn on his own 18 to 23 of them. The rest will be Lincoln Riley play designs that are just better than you could defend. Uh, you see us all the time uh, when you're when you're really studying offensive football. Uh, some, when Mike Martz was coaching, uh, he's still one of the great offensive minds of all time. There were just if you did it the way Mike asked you to do, if Kurt just did it the way Mike asked you to do it, you're guaranteed 15 to 20. They're just going to be there. Um, Tom Brady in New England with Josh McDaniel. Uh, I can go on and on and on. Like it, they're just the great coaches take that weight off of your shoulders so that you're freed up when we do need you. Like there's to be times like, yo, they're out coaching me. You got to go play. You got to go play football. Uh, and that I think that's really when you see the next level to the quarterbacks. I don't know if Tua has that yet. We'll see because Mike's not going to out coach everybody every single week. Uh, but he shows signs of it. Yesterday afternoon, you showed signs when you're down. You score four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You're doing something pretty well. The, the, the touchdown to Waddle, he pins the free safety to the left to cover Hill and uh, Gasecki so that there's run after the catch or Waddle doesn't get his brains beat him because that stick nod by the number three receiver, that free safety should have that. Like That's not a great matchup. You're looking for two high there, not one high. He gets one high. He moves that safety to the left so that Waddle can beat the linebacker. And then he back shoulders it so that the free safety can't come over there after he's already moved them. So there's some nuance to his game we're already seeing. So I know that was a really long-winded answer, but I, I need to say that that you need as an offensive play caller. Uh, and I go all around the country and talk about this. You got to take the burden off of your if you're going to throw it 30 times. 15 of them, you should take the burden off the quarterback. I love that answer. Okay, let's talk about Kyler. In the open, I said he's the best athlete in the NFL. Watching that game yesterday, I don't know how it's sustainable. It's fun. It's amazing. Uh, it was also a mess at times. And you know, I think the Kyler part of it is when he's, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Carson Wentz discussion. I kept listening to all the ex-quarterbacks rave and rave and rave about Carson Wentz. So I'm like, well, shit, if these guys are all freaking out about him, then there has to be something to this, right? Even even former quarterbacks disagree with each other about stuff. And then I realized, I'm like, you know what? It's the Carson Wentz throws that he can do that other guys can't do, which is propping him up in a way where there's, there's still some buy-in. So for me with Kyler, like when it's great, it's indefensible. You, there's nothing you can do against the guy, but it also scared the shit out of me yesterday. I really can't add anything. That's it's it's, high, it's the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. Um, and I'm the I think again you go back to pre-draft. I think I was high, as high on Kyler as anybody. I mean, I watched the guy never lose a Texas seven A high school football game. I coached him out of Elite Eleven. I saw him do things I'd never seen a player do before. I didn't care. I remember I said one time, Rich Eisen. He goes, he's only five eleven. I said, I don't care if he's five four. Like I really don't care how tall he is. The things I've seen the kid do are. You can't explain. Some guys would uh, care, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't explain. My point is being, I was exaggerating to make the point that he just has magic. He is absolutely magical with what he can do. Um, but 
to un to let him cook, right? We saw this with Russ. I think Russ is a really good example here. When we let Russ cook in Seattle, you also let Russ take 16-yard sacks, lose you a couple games, throw some interceptions, do some crazy frenetic things. But you got the high ceiling as you got the low floor when you truly just unleash that type of football player. I think Kyler's a great example of this. When you just say, okay, we're willing to live with all the other stuff, but have them try to tackle him. Have them try to sustain coverage for 12 seconds. Like, have them try to do this stuff. Like, you're also going to get these amazing, splash, impactful plays. It's can you, and I don't know the answer to this, can you finish, can you win a Super Bowl doing it? And I would lean on Steve Young for this one. Worked with him, one of my best friends, would sit there every week and listen to it. He said, we could win a lot of games when I was the best athlete on the field and Bill Walsh, George, just kind of unleashed me. But I realized we'd never win a Super Bowl. We'd never win a Super Bowl until I could do the boring, monotonous, managerial things well. And then trust that I could still be the greatest athlete on the field when I needed to be. Well, guess what? They won a Super Bowl with Steve Young the year he was the most efficient he had ever been. He was the he was the surgeon, not the butcher, but he still made all those splash plays. So I guess my point is that I can't take my eyes off of it. We did this show early last year after Kyler did something incredible earlier in the year. I'm watching Red Zone, and I don't want them to change away from the Cardinals game. I'm trying to find a local feed to get that game because that's the only – I only want to watch football when he's playing quarterback. Like, that's what I – I could care less about watching some of this other stuff. I can just watch NFL Films highlights and understand what happened in the game. But I don't want to miss a snap of what Kyler Murray is because once they do the boring, monotonous, managerial stuff well, and they can do this other stuff, I don't know how you stop the offense. I really don't. I'm not smart enough. Okay, so that's, I think, a departure for where it feels like so much of the media thinks Cliff Kingsbury is terrible. My argument that's pro-Cliff is that before he got there, it was three non-winning seasons, three and 13 the last year before he gets there, five and 10, eight and eight to 11 and six. He was brought in to develop Kyler. Uh, I still think that that contract for him is is a pretty big like confirmation of you're the guy where it's like, man, all right, we'll see what happens. Front office, Cliff, they get extensions. I read into the people that study it more than I do and better than I do that'll be like, oh, there's no lack of motion. We don't like his formations. There's no creativity. It feels like the football media thinks Cliff now is holding him back um, where I feel like when they win, it's only because of everybody else. And when they lose, it's only because of, of Kingsbury. When in fact, like, you know, they probably lose because Hopkins isn't playing in the games. They're about a touchdown worse when Hopkins isn't out there. What do you see with the system and the cliff and the development part about this? Like, I don't know what your relationship is with him. I feel like I'm at times arguing a point that's like, if the goal were to improve the franchise and develop the quarterback, then that's what he's done. But then again, the playoff game last year was a complete disaster. And that was the last thing we had seen, obviously, prior to the first. Look, they got the Chiefs. Who knows what's going to happen next week? Knew the schedule was tough. So give me your view. Don't know him. Studied him for years, still a little bit. Um, don't study as much pro stuff, study more college stuff. Now, when I say study, like all 22, taking notes, scheme, blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think watching them and again, I can't keep my eyes off them. I, I think the offense was built 
and all the offseason work goes into having Hopkins, right? It, it, it's structured a certain way um, to create space, create width, um, and you don't have Hopkins there, and the, and the data shows it. You're just not as good. He's obviously one of the best players in the league. Uh, I've never been a huge A.J. Green fan. I, I've thought he's really good. I'm not saying he's chopped liver, but I never thought he was an alpha, right? I never thought he was one of those alpha takeover game guys. I thought he was a great supplement um, to Hopkins. So now you're kind of playing the game half the field, right? You're playing with Ertz, A.J., the runner, and then really Kyle. Yeah, Marquise Brown, uh, like, no more, you know, which also hurts. But Marquise Brown wouldn't block you. And that's a whole nother time. We should do a topic one time. We should do a segment on why can't you run the ball because your receivers are soft. Like running the football in the NFL takes tough guy receivers. When you, when you refuse to block people, when you refuse to put your hands on people, it's really hard to run, run the ball. I mean, Marquise Brown yesterday on the broken play where well, it's not broken play audibles to option late in the game to the left. And they praise the Raiders free safety from coming out of the middle. That was that was the Duran play. And it's the first thing I saw on the left sideline. Like Brown wasn't even go ahead. And I guarantee you that Duran makes a great play, but he ain't making <laughs> but that you're play right. by himself. He ain't making that play by himself. OK, so that ball is going to be pitched. The free safety is going to come down. He has an edge. He takes a great angle. But if, if Brown blocks the corner and the corner doesn't show up, he's going to get more yards. Then the throw to to, Mar, to Marquise Brown, that's a great throw. In the NFL, that's 100 for 100. Catch, tuck, protect your body, understand the situation. That ball's never coming out. He kind of spins, balls out there. He wants to go score with it. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't understand. Catch the ball, protect it, get down. That stuff will drive you crazy. And the, they immediately go to Cliff on the sidelines. He says, catch the, you know yeah. what I mean? He, he, you could tell he's frustrated. So again, this is the, this perception versus reality of the NFL is everybody goes, oh, wow, he's so fast. They got Marquise Brown. They're going to be so explosive. And here's a coach being like, well, I'm limited in the run game. I'm limited in conflict catches. I'm limited in perimeter blocking in the perimeter passing game. He's a one trick pony. When you have a when you have a Hopkins, he's a he's the complete wide receiver. He's gnarly in the run game blocking. He's the gnarliest uh, conflict catching guy in the NFL. He's a one on one nightmare, and he makes everybody else better. And you see a lot of the creativity in the pass game built around that. Now it might be his fault to call some of these plays. He calls. I remember this another great example, and I'm not just trying to pick on Hollywood Brown, but they throw. We call it whiz. It's this double stack with number three kind of running an on the line of the scrimmage perimeter bubble. And the two wide receivers sort it. So one wide receiver has what you'd call the MDM, the most dangerous man. The other receiver comes off of that to secure it. And then he's going to kick the next defender. It's one of the great perimeter passes in football. It's basically like throwing, it's basically the modern day way of running um, the old uh, sweep that the Green Bay Packers ran or the old counter tray that the Washington Redskins have. It's a way of getting to the edge pretty safely. You only can do it if the receiver that has the point defender is violent. He doesn't have to win. He has to tie. So they run it. And some dude from the Raiders, 21, 
basically just blows on Marquise Brown and he gets out of the way and the, the number three receivers get the ball, just gets lit up. And I'm like, okay, you can look at this two ways. One, if that's Hopkins on the point, that Raider dude doesn't pass the line of scrimmage. He's going to stone him with those big, long arms, those gnarly hands. He's going to work to the outside shoulder and just, you know, slobber knock him. And it's going to be an awesome football play. Or is Cliff stupid for calling it with Marquise Brown there as the point defender? And I, I'll, I'll listen to both, but that's the difference that a Hopkins makes is it allows you to run the offense that you envision. He's not running the offense he's envisioned. Another incredible answer. Does sound like you are suggesting that'd be easy to block, but we'll keep it moving for the sake of time. Short arms, just because of lack of length. You're or stud, you, you lack natural length. My my arms are longer than you realize. We'll do uh, wingspan measurement. We'll get you the latest numbers. Okay, how does this Nathaniel Hackett thing happen here? Okay, because I mean it's it's one thing to like fuck up on on the you know the Monday nighter and you're going all right. You've got timeouts. What's the plan? Russ is going to come in. Let's convert fourth and five. No, let's try to kick a sixty-four yarder. You're like all right, alarming, and then you screw up the end of the first half in your home opener. And then you've got all the situations. I've gone over all of this in the opener, but it's like it's kind of like three of the four closing moments that you've had. You're 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 fucking it up seventy five percent of the time. How does this happen? With again, I know he's a first time head coach, but it's not like he's new to football. Yeah, um, I don't know because I live it in this, and I, I'm not trying to make a high school comparison to the NFL. That please, I'm not that stupid. Uh, but the complexity of being a play caller with managing the game and you have to uh, every week, even at this level, it takes hours of what I call the lonely work of me sitting right where I'm sitting right now and playing the game throughout my head between the play caller and managing situations and calling my coaches up to the office. Be Okay, we have this situation in this moment. Hey, I'm going to get you on the phones. We're on defensive comms. I need this piece of information. Let's get out ahead of this. And, you know, so you're playing the game out ahead because it is hard. And for years, you've talked to a lot of offensive play callers that are head coaches that have to balance this, right? You, you have to have a plan for how you're going to balance all this stuff. It almost becomes system overload if you haven't prepped for it ahead of time. And I'm just wondering, I'm going to defend him here. I'll defend him to the end of the month. And then I won't defend him anymore. He's just learning for the first time how to do this, how to run an offense, which is really hard to do, and run a team, which is even harder to do. And I bet you he's waking up again this morning going, oh my gosh, how did I make that mistake? Like if I was watching TV, I'd be mad at me too. Because every fan gets it, every announcer gets it, Every pundit gets it. Somehow I didn't get it in the moment, but I know that. I don't know how I didn't get that. Again, this isn't really an answer. It's just kind of a justification for how he can be making these egregious mistakes because I don't know him real well, but the people that I trust in the league, which you know is a short list. I mean, you're talking about 10 people that I really, really admire and trust in the NFL. They all really think a lot of them. So... And these people aren't wrong very often. Like, these are the best of the best that have been doing it forever. And they're like, this guy, he's really good. He's really solid. So I'm guessing it's just system overload right now. Who's the best you've ever been around? 
at taking care of all of this stuff where there's just never a misstep? Well, Belichick, I've never been around him, but just studying it, watching it, you can just see it. Like you can just see that they've they've gone over everything exponentially more than everybody else has. Him not, him not calling the timeout at the Seahawks Super Bowl would, and then the explanation for why he was watching their sideline, understanding that let me not bail them out here. I just don't think that list is very long of guys that are that aware of that many moving parts. Uh, and that's why... How about him it, knowing where Sean McVay was on the sideline, knowing what calls they were making based on where he was on the sideline? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's stuff that... It, Wait, well, so get go a little deeper on that one then. So they knew what types of plays he would call based on where he stood on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. So there's stuff that they just do that very few have ever done. And when you're a coach and you want to be great at what you do, you study that stuff. You don't you don't get defensive. I think what happens to a lot of coaches in football is they never thought through some of this stuff. So they get really defensive and then criticize. Instead of going, no, that guy's better than me. I'm going to learn from that because I want to be really good at my job one day. I want to be one of the best. So, like, as an, I remember when I got into coaching four years ago, I know a lot of football, I know a lot of offense. I mean, I've been around it a long time. I've studied, I've worked hard at it. But I'm like, this Lincoln Riley guy, come on now. Like, he's doing some stuff that's really cool. So I, I went to my vacation home in Tahoe and asked my wife this for six weeks. I did nothing but study Lincoln Riley, eight hours a day, studied Lincoln Riley for six weeks. I think I knew Lincoln better than Lincoln knew himself. Then I find out his brother's really good at what he does. So I start studying his brother. And I'm like, I'm a better coach because I now know kind of, I've never talked to him about, but I think I figured out kind of the secrets here. And I think you have to do that with great ma- guys that manage their teams really well. They, they're great CEOs. Um, I, you know, I'm going to give a guy some props that not a lot would. My year in Cleveland, Romeo, and it wasn't just because he came from Belichick. Romeo was trying to do all this stuff really well. I was actually really impressed with Romeo Cornell as a head coach, except for who he hired. What Romeo messed up was who he hired as his offensive coordinator. I've said this, the worst, worst coach in the history of coaches. But he put together an organizational structure and thought through all the minutia of how you could win a game with inferior talent really well. And he taught the right things. Like I would sit there in meetings and I was in my, what my, uh, eight, nine, 10, I was in my 12th year, I think. And I would sit there and go, okay, this guy, this guy gets it. Like he's going to create an opportunity for us to win every game. If we do our jobs. And I think that's what the great head coaches do is they create an opportunity for players to be the best versions of themselves. And if they do their jobs well, they'll handle the rest as coaches. Uh, is Cooper Rush as good as Dak Prescott? <laughs> he's a good player, but no, he's not as good as Dak Prescott. I think what it did, uh, I read something this morning. What did I read? Did McCarthy criticize... Oh, basically, he said, I need to get with Kellen Moore and teach him how to be a little more conservative. It was something to that effect, right? Well, Phil Simms had also said there isn't any drop-off between Dak and Cooper. Well, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. But here's what I think happens, is you know the limitations of your quarterback. And I'm not saying Cooper has tons of limitations, but he doesn't have as many reps. 
right? I mean, he doesn't know the offense like the back of his hand like Dak does. So as, as a play designer caller, you're like, you're that week, like, okay, what can we do really well, right? What's the best stuff we can do? And we'll do that. And oh my gosh, it worked. It was really effective. And Cooper looks great doing it. But if you actually watch the Cowboys offense, and again, I haven't studied all 22 and every offensive snap, but I did watch a lot of that game. I'm like, this is kind of like week one training camp install. Like this is week one, ace naked, you know, two back run, uh, seven stop flat vertical activation. Like this is your day week one. Like, well, here's our base offense. This isn't all the layers put onto the offense. And I think now you play faster. Uh, your identity, you kind of know what your identity is because all the players go, oh yeah, I remember week one of training camp. This is the stuff we put in. We're pretty good at this. Now the fans going to say, well, why don't you do that stuff all the time? Well, because in the NFL, if you're not evolving week in and week out, they're going to figure this stuff out pretty quick. But you got one or two chances to run your base stuff with the new quarterback. So I think that's what you saw was you saw him call a game that was very in line with his exposure to this offense. It is what this offense does best because it's the stuff they've done most often. They always say they write a book on a backup quarterback and the, after about two to four weeks, that book will be written and defenses will respond to it. I've always said that's a true statement if it's quarterback plus offensive play caller. Like really the book that's written is, okay, with this quarterback, this is what the play caller calls. It's not one or the other. It's both together. And if they continue to run base week one training camp install stuff, they'll figure it out real quick. So Kellen and Cooper have to start adding layers to this if they're going to have success. And I also think the game was called very much, hey, let's do what we can do offensively, but our defense is playing pretty well here. Like we don't have to do too much because our defense is getting the ball back for us. Yeah, this Mike Parsons experience here. I mean, this is this is like next level stuff, man. Um, I I never would even flirt with suggesting anybody else can impact a game like Aaron Donald can defensively, but it's you know I'm I'm still hesitant to go that far with it. But Parsons has been the first guy in a long time that's making me think differently about having that kind of Aaron Donald type impact. Uh, think think about this real quick. One of the things Belichick said years ago. Um, I think it, you know, it was with Rabel really is when the conversation started was he made kind of versatility cool. Yeah. Troy Brown playing defensive back. Yeah. He made versatility cool. I think what happened in the league after he started proving concept where a lot of coaches were like, oh, he's onto something. We're never going to give them credit. But when you have versatile players, you have scheme versatility. When you have scheme versatility, you're not predictable. When you're not predictable, you can be aggressive. You can trigger, uh, and they don't know what's coming. You really get an advantage when you're versatile. Um, I think Aaron Donald isn't just one of the best. He is. He's one of the, I, I, everything they say about him, I agree with. But he's so versatile, too. He plays the five. He plays the three. He plays the one. He plays the zero. He walks around. Like, he's so versatile in what he can do. Micah Parsons, freak, like Aaron. But his versatility, I think, allows him to be even more freakish because you have no idea <laughs> where he's showing up. So I'll give you an example as a coach. 
And every coach that listens can be like, oh yeah, he, he hit it there. You can plan around a guy if you know where he's going to line up. I don't care how good that guy is. You can either take stuff out that's not going to let him ruin the game, or you can create cool schemes to get two, three bodies on him. Modern day football, don't block them. You know, read them. Blah, 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 blah. A bunch of stuff you can do. You're, you're a mess all week. You don't sleep. Your wife's ugly. Your food sucks. You know, you put on 12 pounds. Win the game record, when you don't, where it's, where's Waldo? Okay, Waldo's a game record. And you don't know where he's going to be. Life is miserable. It's horrific. Because you don't have any answers. Now he may show up over your second year left tackle. He may show up as a bubble backer. He may show up out in the slot and walk in where he's not in the number account pre-snap. He might line up over your free agent left guard that, you know, is so stiff he can't tie his shoes. Like you don't know what's gonna happen. So I think they've landed in something there. And they have Lawrence, they have they have other good players too. They have other dynamic athletes that they can kind of play chess with. And what's cool about Quinn is he doesn't, his, his creativity is very subtle and it almost lulls you to sleep. And now Mike is showing up in places where like, wait, I got to rewind that. I got YouTube TV. It was kind of hard to rewind. I wish I was back to direct TV, but you know, I'll rewind the 20 seconds just to be like, Oh my, Oh, I see that. Oh, he was a seven last week. And now they did this. So that slide protection, he's looping all the way inside that. He's going to be matched up on the backside uncovered that's doing the slide. And this guy's got no chance because that guy's a square player. And now he's got an edge in Micah Parsons. Like there, there is calculus going on, everybody. Like football at its highest level is not algebra. It is calculus. And when done well with great players, it's kind of unstoppable. Okay, last thought here. Uh, Trey Lance, unfortunately, out for the season. We didn't really get a good chance to see. You know, I don't know what week one. I didn't take anything away from that game, uh, the loss at Chicago in those conditions. But Jimmy's in, and, you know, this this makes sense. You know, if they didn't like – I love that San Francisco said, hey, we don't like the offers, and we're not desperate. We don't have to do this. He's not going to lose his shit. We can trust him to be a backup. And now it looks like it's going to work out for everybody. Yeah, I said this on Colin just to be funny, but I think it's actually kind of true. They should take Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers off the State Farm commercials and put Lynch and and Shanahan and Jimmy G on there, right? Because it's like you got to right now you have the greatest advertisement for insurance policy you could ever find, and you're right, they handled it well. I, I think I, it's great, I, and I think I think Kyle is smart enough, and he is. He's one of the best. He's just going to basically revamp the offense. Say, okay, we thought we we're going to do this 40%. Now that's gone because we're not going to run Jimmy G and we'll get back to some of this and we'll do that. And, you know, we'll play to Jimmy G's strengths. It's going to be unfortunate because I don't get to unleash this 40% that I want to unleash. But, oh, well, let's move on. I'm bummed for Trey. Um, I, I think this could be a career record, to be honest with you. So this will be now his third year without playing significant snaps. Um he had limited passes as a college player, which is usually it's the only exception I've ever made in my pre. Well, two, I was wrong on Sanchez, and then I made an exception for Trey Lance. Less than fifteen hundred attempts as a college player, it very rarely works out in your favor in the NFL. I was willing to take that chance for Trey because I figured his ability to run the ball would be um, 
kind of the balancing fact to give him a longer leash in the NFL to play more snaps before he became a refined passer. Now you're looking at less than 1,500 attempts in, in college football, three years without playing significant snaps. I think Jimmy's G will be successful. I do think the 49ers will be successful. Therefore, what do you do at the end of this year? Like uh, this could be, I hope not. I love the kid, but th- this, this could be catastrophic for Trey Lance. Trent, we always enjoy the time and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks, brother. See you. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice this week. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We had a lot of follow-ups to the wedding dilemma. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of different opinions out there. We welcome them all. We read very few. But this one was one that I thought I wanted to read. Whenever we have you know, our female crew chiming in, I always, always like to get that perspective. This show can be a little male, if you haven't noticed, uh, which is fine. Uh, this one, female, 43, 5, 9, 160, run half marathons, just starting weights, don't have a baseline for bench. Don't worry about it. All right. Uh, the email last week about the girlfriend wanting to skip the church part of the wedding had me questioning my own marriage. Uh-oh. My question, have I been completely duped by my husband? Is he some way not fulfilling the very basics of a relationship etiquette? My first reaction to last week's email was that you should just not attend the wedding. From a practical standpoint, it does not make sense. There would be minimal time for the couple to be together during the key points, ceremony, dinner, transportation. I don't understand. The, why would they? I don't think. With the wedding party, they'd be like, you have to go in the worst Uber. I don't, I don't think that happens. <laughs> Saruti, you had a wedding recently. Did you, did you make, recently. did you make, are people making non-wedding party significant others ride the loser cruiser? Like what's going on? I don't, I don't remember that when I've been in it or a uh, guest of. No, usually there's, you know, there's like a, a bus at, at our wedding. It was on a as puke bus because like three or four people puked on the bus on the way home, which was super fun. But I don't know. Everybody hops on the same one. And, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, I don't think it's like a, hey, you're not in the immediate wedding party. You have to, you're not, you know, every man for themselves at that point. So I don't know. I guess it depends yeah. on the wedding. But no, that seems kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, whatever. I'm not disputing that. Uh, the groomsman will be with his friends. will be completely occupied. The wedding couple would save on a head count and not have to pay for dinner, drinks, et cetera, for, uh, for one more person who does not want to be there. There's no reason for her to attend the entire event. She should fly out and spend the days with her friend 
and off wedding hours with her boyfriend. The logic is based on my 12-year partnership with my husband, who has frequently declined to attend weddings and events where he did not know a lot of people or just didn't want to attend. Your reaction to her even asking that question, as well as Kyle and Sarudi's, and citing it as an example of female privilege, has me wondering if I'm doing something completely wrong with my marriage. <laughs> I think she's never been more right. I like what she's doing. Uh-oh. Context on my husband. Husband's great, very loving, emotionally supportive, does more than half the work and taking care of the household and dogs. He makes good money and I make significantly more than him. Just want to be clear that I'm not a kept woman. Attaching photos uh, because I believe we're fairly evenly matched from a looks perspective. <laughs> Let me just click on this one real quick. This this woman is so matter-of-fact about all of this. I yeah. love her, effi- yeah, her efficiency is off the charts. She's like, hey, this is what's up. I, I like her. Very Me pragmatic. Too. Yeah. Um, he was clear from the start of our relationship. He does not want to go to every work family friend event that I go to or get invited to. I have the same option to decline for any of his events. I tend to be more social and enjoy meeting new people. So I will usually attend the event when I'm invited. He is great with new people, but would prefer to spend his time at home reading or during football season, doing research and working on fantasy, daily fantasy and prop bets. We didn't get just oh, fantasy. <laughs> we got all three thrown at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's been telling you, hon, Today's a big research day. Got to put the work in. I can't. Yeah, I can't go to that farmer's market. It's out. Yeah. No no days off. Yeah. (laughs) No days off. (laughs) Great line. All right. uh, I don't have to worry about it if I'm. uh, If there's something that I feel strongly about him attending, then I will just say so when he comes. I would say I attend 67% of the event solo, and I'm totally okay with that. I don't have to worry about it if I'm having a good time and he wants to leave. When we do attend events together, I also have fun because in general, I find him enjoyable, an enjoyable person to be around. At events he doesn't attend, people often ask where he is, and I just say he didn't want to come. I think you should just say, oh, today's a big research day. Yeah. He's got three same-game parlays he's trying to unlock. Uh, I was able to attend these things just fine before I met him, so it didn't occur to me that it was a problem to go solo after we met. Your response about men always having to attend these things without question is making me think that he's been pulling an adorable fast one on me for all these years. What should I be renegotiating the event policy for our relationship? Uh, All right. I don't think this is the podcast to come to for, like, this significant of a, like, part of your, your deal. I think you answered this on your own. You never even thought about it until you heard us talk about it, which again, some people would disagree because people are going to disagree with, with literally everything you say. Um, but the important things are the important things that you pointed out, right? Let's read the email back. You just said, my husband is great, very loving, emotionally supportive, does more than half the work and taking care of the household and dogs. Uh, he makes good money. You said you make more than him, a lot more. All right. He just doesn't like to go to shit. And you've never cared until you heard us talking about the last wedding email. So that means this has been a win for you the entire time. If you think of a list of all the things that your significant other can be good at and bad at, it sounds like he's good at all the really good things. And there's something that I would put definitely in that slightly less important category. And it's actually been less important to you. So now you're concerned about something you've never been concerned about for years. I would just go back, go back a little time machine or just uh, restore the computer to a previous date before we'd ever read that email and you just keep rolling in the direction you're rolling in because it sounds like he's been an awesome partner to you and you've never even had any other questions. Like when I think about the things that I would really want, grand, awful, awful, uh, I shouldn't even go down this road with it. 
because nobody wants to hear me say it, but like when you think about the things that'll matter to you about your significant other, going to stuff when you don't care about going solo shouldn't matter. Other people would put a huge priority on it. You know, I know people that can't do any of these things. Like if the other person doesn't go, I almost think there's this weird power dynamic where it's like, I, I kind of don't want to go, but because I know you definitely don't want you to, don't want you to go. Now I want you to go. Right. I've seen that happen a little bit before. So I think you're in a good spot here. I think he's been great. Um, as you point out, I don't think he's a con and he clearly doesn't like going to shit. Although the daily fantasy studying does make me chuckle a little bit on that one. But well, what if, if he's it, killing it, though? I mean, maybe he's maybe we don't know. Maybe that's like she would have mentioned income and he's just crushing it. <laughs> I think she would have mentioned that with all the other details she's provided. Well, yeah, but now now she's going to ask to see the account. So, you know, yeah, he's probably not a great sign there. I don't know. I yeah. think I think this is perfect. I mean, I I would consider myself a pretty good partner I, when it comes to like going to things. Life partner, life partner, event partner. You know, all of it. You know, we'll we'll find the best avenue to having a good time. That's for sure. But I've been places where it's like I'm coming, and like I'm going with her, and like she's around all the friends, and I could turn it on. I'll like for four hours. Yeah, you can. I'll turn it on. I'll be like, you've known me your whole life, but I'll see like. They'll be like doing one of their inside joke laughing things about something that happened five years ago. And then she has to turn to me and be like, all right, so this one time when we were on our way to Canada or something, it's like, if I just like disappeared and wasn't here, you'd have an awesome time. And I'd be totally fine not doing this whole trip with you. So the fact that you guys have that in a shorthand and like that, those are the events, like I'll be at an event where I'm like, you know, it'd be cool if I was, if I, I'd be a little bit easier if I was here alone and I've been in the, the guy who's like, you know, turning it on, having a good time. But also it's like, those are like, you're a group of five that have known each other forever. So turn it this on. one guy who's like, you know, attached to you. And I just think it's great that you, that you have such a shorthand already that you're just like, yeah, this one's not for you. And I want to go. So that's, that's fine. I'm glad you don't want to go. <laughs> like That's perfect. You guys are killing it. That, that's the, that's a great point because my, my wife is like the life of the party. She's, friendly with everybody, whatever. She's good in social settings. I am a little bit more introverted. Like I kind of like to be by myself. I have a very like hard time limit too. like when I'm at an event, she can kind of look at me and go, oh, he's I think he's ready to go home. And I'm not like moody or weird about it. Like she just kind of knows like it's like a, it's your like stance a changes thing. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, she can just kind of there's a general vibe where it's like, all right, Steve's ready to go home. Um, but she also like will know events that I don't need to be present at. And she'll be like, oh, you don't have to come. That's fine. Like weddings are kind of off women. Like I, I'm going to have to go to family weddings, especially obviously on her side. Like I can't skip weddings. So I'll just say to the email, like it's pretty fucking awesome that you allow him to do this. Uh, I hope he reciprocates, you know, the, the love in, in a different way to you as well. But as long as you've got a good thing going and it's not bothering you, as Ryan said, there's no real reason to change what's going on. If you're both happy and, and you know, like you're not mad or jealous of him because he's not at present at different places, then I would just say keep living your life the way it is. Don't let don't let this podcast change your view on uh, on your guy. Yeah, nothing to add to that. Okay, let's go. Uh, car wash, am I the asshole? What's up, guys? A little over 5'11", so I tell people six feet. Feel a little guilty about it, 195. I'm writing this just minutes after a low stakes but high tension situation at the local car wash. My wife and I have a baby girl on the way due in the next couple of weeks. All right, so you're already sort of like pre-little frazzled. Uh, day could come anytime now. Since I spend my Sundays this time of year playing on the couch, researching daily fantasy, and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, playing on the couch, watching football. I thought I would deep clean her car before the games. Look at everybody's getting along this week. 
After going through the wash, I parked my car at the vacuums right in front of an automatic floor mat washing station. There was already another woman washing her mats out, so I took the mats out of the car and set them all by the machine to hold my spot in line while I vacuumed. Let me read that again. After going through the wash, I parked my car at the vacuums right in front of the automatic floor mat washing station. There was already another woman washing her, mash, her mats out, so I took the mats out of my car and set them all by the machine to hold my spot in line while I vacuumed. Hmm. What's allowed? the woman... What's that? Is that allowed? Let's see what happens. Once the woman who was already at the station was done, I started loading up my mats. It took about a minute per mat, so I would feed one in and then go back to my car to finish up the vacuuming. I added the uptick on the pronunciation there at the end. That was just a straight sentence. Uh, Right after I fed my second to last mat into the machine, a little boy, probably six or seven, walked over with a mat in hand with my last mat still laying right in front of the machine. I went back and kindly said, hey, buddy, do you mind... You know what? Let me phrase that because I put a hard emphasis on that, buddy. <laughs> We're still hostile towards kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's try that friendlier. Like, I'm all out of candy. All right. Um, <laughs> hey, buddy. Do you mind if I throw my last one in? That's probably what it was more like. Yeah. He nodded and I waited there and put my last one in once it opened up. When I walked back to my car after feeding the last man and the kid's mom dressed head to toe in Lululemon and cleaning a very nice SUV, looked at me disgusted and said, fuck you, (laughs) sort of under her breath, but definitely in a way that she wanted me to hear. I was extremely confused and wanted to say something, but ultimately decided it wasn't worth it to get into it with a soccer mom. I went and grabbed my mat out of the machine, told the kid thanks, put my vacuum hose back and drove off. All that to ask, am I the asshole? I wasn't in a rush. I probably could have let him do his one mat, but wanted to finish the job. Maybe I'm misunderstood or maybe i misunderstood the unspoken rules of the car wash if she's the one in the wrong should i have said something worth noting i live in colorado well that is that is helpful so not quite midwest friendliness uh but not boston either would love your thoughts well i appreciate you listening i think you're totally wrong here i think i know what happened is you were trying to be hyper efficient but it's it's kind of like i got yelled at once on the mass pike granted that didn't go well where i went to put gas in the car and as a um, mass doesn't have the the full, I don't know what the hell I did. I ended up basically taking a little too long to go into the store to grab some waters or whatever, and then go back in, and it took up a spot. So I could have been quicker about it. The guy laid into me, Massachusetts style, and I was kind of like, "Yeah, I think I'm wrong here." Um, and it kind of been one of those deals where, like, I did it, going, oh, "I'll be fine." Because there's not that many cars, and then with the pike, you never know. You get a rush, and then all of a sudden, people are looking for hoses. And you know, I I was I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, I think you're wrong here because as you describe it, you parked by the vacuum to vacuum the car. You're saying it's right in front of the automatic floor mat, but you were trying to do two things at once. And I think the normal progression of events here, unless it were dead, was that you know if you're vacuuming, you're vacuuming. You're saying that you were vacuuming and then putting a mat through and then going back to vacuuming and putting a mat through. And then when you weren't back in time to put in the last mat, this kid was ahead of you. And then you decided, and again, the kid's six or seven, so you're going to fucking lose. And then it's a mom. She's never, ever going to think any any interaction with her kid from a stranger is like, yeah, actually, what would be a kid's name? Could Joseph, maybe? You know, yeah, yeah, let the stranger put his mat in through the fourth one because he's trying to do both at the exact same time. So, you know, she's going to have 
a, a more aggressive reaction. She probably didn't have to drop an F-bomb on you right there, but she's only looking at a stranger messing with her kid who's ready to put in a map because you're trying to do two things at once. And at this point, it's not slow enough for you to get away with trying to get all of this done at the same time. So uh, that would be that would be the way I look at this. I don't think there's really much debate. Yeah, I think I like to do it sometimes like where where like I try to do two things at once. Sometimes when my Brita water is filling up a cup, it goes pretty slow. Uh, I'll try to do something else. And sometimes you lose and some, and, but most times you win, you know, like, but so <laughs> you, you took the, you took the, the risk and, you know, I think it was more of a perception thing. I, I doubt it was actually, if it's an automatic thing, like you don't have to stand by it, obviously, but, um, I don't know. It takes a minute. You kind of have to stand by. I think it's actually not efficient at all because those, those, um, hoses those vacuums are like coin op or credit card operation that's time that you're losing on the vacuum by the way and that's how you end up with a pretty expensive car wash when you don't get all the vacuuming done and now you got to do another cycle yeah you're definitely those that's precious that's you're paying per the second on that vacuum so i do think you're losing a little bit of efficiency there but i think you're i think the reason that you're not the asshole is because you just let the shit go so i think i think you've got a pretty good head on your shoulders you know the brita cup overflew overflowed that's okay. Yeah, but this would this would be like being at the workplace and putting your large water container under the the water cooler and then using the toaster. And if then you're in running the same back, room, yeah. Right, and, and somebody's like, "Dude, you know, whatever." Uh I, I think his reaction to this was good that he just was like, "I'm just going to kind of eat this one." She was aggressive, she was too aggressive. But that's the way it's going to happen when it's like a kid who's 6 or 7 that's involved and a stranger just talks to the kid then the mom's going to lose her shit. You know, that's just the way, it's just the way it goes. So I don't think you were right, but I thought you're the way the guy, you're absolutely right, Kyle. The way he handled it, just kind of drop off, drive off and be like, whatever. You know, I, I think that's the right way to do it. I was trying to think, is there, a, is there a gym analogy to this at all? Like, is this would be like if you're at the squat rack and then you're also like maybe doing the lap pull downs and like put your place, you know, like the little pin in and like you're kind of going back and forth. Like that would be unacceptable, right? Supersets. No, you could, you better be big if you're doing supersets. Because then if you're big, you just get away with it. Because it's like, well, this guy, I mean, there's a guy, there's a guy at my gym now, he's wearing mama didn't raise no bitch cut off sleeve <laughs> t-shirts. That guy sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. And then he's, there was another one. Like I thought maybe, because that would be the kind of thing I would wear to be funny, knowing that I don't like, okay, but who's it funny for you in the car by yourself? Because it's not <laughs> like you're at the gym yeah. with all your gym buddies. Yeah, no one's like classic Rosillo over there, yeah, guy we yeah. don't talk to. He's got yeah. great bumper yeah, yeah. stickers, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, that guy no one talks to, he's wearing such a funny t-shirt to laugh in his car by himself an hour from now. But yeah, this guy's wearing Mama Didn't Raise No Bitch shirt, and he has another shirt, because then he was like, oh my god, this guy's wearing weightlifting-themed motto shirts. And the other one was just something just like, you know, like, you know, I'll do the lifting. You can do the watching. I mean, it was something else like super <laughs> aggressive. And I'm like, this guy's because he's he's big and he is strong. But he he's just he's just kind of like big, big. He's definitely a big guy. But yeah, super sets. That's a good question. Sarudi. Is there a gym equivalent of this? If you were, you know, taken up taking up a machine and, and going too long and but i still think the gym analogy uh i don't know i'm not gonna spend all day trying to think someone else here. would have to be like in line waiting for like the lap pull down machine while you're trying to occupy two different things so that like you just work in rack yeah, yeah and then that person just all goes over and uses the lap pull down bar and you're like well i was here it's like well no you're in the you're at the squat rack like you're not you're not actually here you can't do both at once 
So yeah, the, you could work in if you're going to do if you're going to like superset or whatever. You got to let the other person work in when you're not there. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a work in option when you're running your mats through the automatic wash. You know, it's it's <laughs> one mat at a time, and this guy tried to work in his mat, and the seven year old just was like, oh, you know. So yeah. I, I look. I think a, a mom didn't like a mom didn't like a stranger talking to her kid. Right. And I think if you are one of those moms, maybe you should stop sending your kid to do real world tasks is what I mean. Whoa. I mean, hey, listen, <laughs> if you're going to be like, hey, go pay this bill at the diner and and all of a sudden, like the kid doesn't know what's going on. It's like it's like leaving your kid at like the checkout thing. Like, I'll be back in five minutes while like <laughs> well, while we pay for these things. Just just hold the spot in line, like which is fine. But if things go awry, I think you should be a little bit cooler on the parent side. If you're like, yeah, you're right. I let a I let a child try to do an adult task. I just think maybe you should remember that parents before you're like, don't talk to my kid. It's like, hey, maybe your kid shouldn't be speaking for your car right now at the the fucking uh, laundromat or at the at the car wash. That's all I mean. I think everything's fine. I just think maybe if you're going to be a parent who's a little bit weird about interactions with your kids, maybe don't send your kids to do adult interactions. That's it. Well, maybe she wanted to teach her son a lesson that mama didn't raise no bitch. Like, you can't take shit from guys <laughs> that are trying to, dump, to do a two-task thing at, I guess. at the line. Come right. on. Great job, mom. I don't know. Just think you should be a little bit cooler if you're going to be upping the stakes of what your kid has to do. All right. Uh, we'll do one more here. He wants to go by the name. He's offering us an alias, and he would like to be called James. 29-year-old. I'm going to leave his country of origin out. Uh, he's 6'2", 185, 265, two reps bench and squat. He says, weird, I know. I agree. That is weird. <laughs> You're 185. Well, whatever. Maybe, you know, maybe your knees hurt. Pickup basketball player specializing in backdoor alley-oops and huge between-game dunks. So you can dunk, but you can only squat 265 twice? Well, it is weird. He's the one that told us it was weird, and we agree. Um, I only hit personal records when I listen to your pod or old life advice segments. Well, you should be super pissed off and motivated after that breakdown. <laughs> Story. I've been... Oh, I like this. this. There's an outline to this one. I've been putting in a lot of work cultivating a relationship with a 20-year-old woman that myself and my friends played basketball with. She's a former D1 player, six feet tall. And now plays professionally every, every summer. I'm quite into her, and I can tell she's waiting for me to ask her out. But I thought I'd wait until she was finished traveling for the season before I made my move. Mistake. Oh, fuck it. Why does everybody wait? Like, I think I, I felt like November would be a good time. Now, granted, if, if, if the other person is going through something, you're trying to time it better. Like, I kind of get it here. But anyway, all right. Um, so I thought she'd wait before the season. Uh, she's got the cutest kid he's, he's revealing a lot here um, that I've ever seen in my life and knowing that she's has a child doesn't concern me like it would a few years ago that makes sense nice. about a month ago I removed myself from dating apps and broke off my casual relationship so I could be fully available when her season comes to close this week alright so you are you are pre dumping people <laughs> for somebody you're not even asking out yet I love the focus love the focus but yeah. Last week, a girl I had dated six years ago. She's also uh, my age, but she's only 5'4". <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> reached out trying to connect. I wasn't sure of the context, but she was someone I had dated for a few years and was excited to catch up and see how she was doing. Went for drinks, had an absolute blast. She's hilarious, smart, gorgeous. We talked for 
five straight hours. It was honestly the best date I've been on in years. She had her hands on my leg and the faces she was making made it very clear she wanted us to get together again. This was a girl who I was deeply in love with and thought I'd marry when I was 22 years old. She broke up with me uh, then because she was going through some very, very tough stuff in her family life. And at the end of the night, she asked if we could do this again soon. At this point, I don't know what to do. Who do I pursue? The tall basketball player is lights out from three, and there's a chance we could eventually have D1 athlete babies together. There it is. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're playing with fire at 5'4". You just are. You just are. And you're only six feet tall? 6'2"? 6'2". Yeah, I mean, when the mom's tall... Anyway. Um, she has an adorable kid. She travels a lot. Not the basketball violation. <laughs> and I don't know what a rapport would be like outside of the gymnasium. She's an absolute catch, so if I don't make a move soon, I'm afraid I'll miss my window. My ex is someone I never thought I'd have a chance with again, but our chemistry after one night of drinks was undeniable, and I haven't met anyone I've connected with her uh, like her since we split up when we were both young and immature. What do you think? I'll blindly follow anything you, Saruti, or Kyle suggest. Thanks. Uh, then he provided us more info not to share. Uh, all right. I would just ask out the tall one now. Find out immediately because I know what you're going to do, dude. You know, you got, again, some guys listen to this email like, poor fucking guy. It's six foot smoke show draining it from three that's kind of interested in him and now there's this five, four goddess that also wants to get back together. All right, so the right move, you know, that sometimes, you know, you get back with the person in the past actually can be great because there's like this rekindling. You, you, you skip all of those stupid steps. Like, you kind of know it. You know, you know it when there's this connection beyond just the physical attraction. Uh, there's just, you know, I think you kind of know when it's like, wait, this is just a little bit different than everything else. And sometimes that is somebody you have a pass with because you kind of grew up together. And then some people have a hard time with the gap thing. Uh, I definitely, when I was younger would be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Let's get to get back together where you're traveling with different dudes, these vacation spots. And people are sending me Instagram posts of it. Like, yeah, that's fucking sweet. Now I want to hang out with you again. Um, when I was younger, absolute couldn't do it. Get a little bit older. You're just like, you know, you start to scar up a little bit more and you're like, ah, fuck it. Who cares? Right. But I think you need to know, because if you just went all in on the five, four girl, you're going to keep wondering about the six foot girl. So, and it sounds like you kind of prefer the six foot girl because you keep, you brought up the height twice. So again, I'll let you go right now, but I'm just saying, find out where you stand with six foot before you make any form, uh, you know, future moves with five, four. So Rudy? No, two things. One, I actually don't think it's weird that he waited to ask her out because I had a buddy once who basically got, got together with this girl. She kind of knew him. They ended up dating. And then she went to like New Zealand for six months. And it's like, what, what's the point? So you're just going to start a relationship and it's going to be a long distance relationship right away. Like that's, if you know, she's coming back, just wait. So I actually don't have an issue with that. My question for this guy is eventually, yeah, definitely obviously ask the six foot girl out. It's always going to be in the back of your head, but chances are you're going to like her. Like you kind of know a little bit about her. You like her kid. You think she's cute. It's not a problem. There's going to be a decision or a point where you're going to have to make a decision about the two of them. And it's going to be like, what do you value more love or breeding? Like that seems like the two different angles here. Um, like, sure. Do you want, do you want to have your kid potentially be a sick athlete or do you want to like, you know, be with this girl who potentially gets you in, in ways that other girls don't. So, um, you know, 
I know guys that really care about like, yeah, I want, you know, I, I want to date an athletic girl because I'm athletic and I want, you know, I, I, I want to be a coach and I want them to get scholarships and all that stuff. That's cool. <laughs> but how much do you actually do? You, do you actually love your wife? Too? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I would choose the love aspect, but that's going to be a decision. I think you kind of have to make here. Could have soccer players because soccer people, soccer community tells me tall people would be awful at it. Like Russell Westbrook wouldn't be good at soccer, which I dispute. Well, here's the thing. Uh, if he's 6'2 and she's 5'4, I mean, if you have a girl who's 5'8, five, 5'9, five, that's, that's, she could still, I mean, that's, that's a great, she could play hoops. She could do a bunch of different sports. She could play soccer. That's fine. Guy, you know, it'll be maybe tougher. Hopefully he gets to six feet. You never know. Yeah. It's not like there are short moms with tall sons. It mm -hmm. does happen. You know, I don't know how family trees work, man. There's some stuff that goes on there. You know, genes are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Kyle, anything here? You ever have a time where you just had so many options you didn't know what to do? Usually coming home from college or something, you know, it's like, all right, we got there some choices go. to Give make, us but one. we got some time. But we got some time. Give us one. I don't think I'm going to do that because, like <laughs> okay. I said, wedding date already set. Uh, June oh, yeah. yeah. See you guys there. So, um, <laughs> does your fiance listen to life advice? No. And, and, uh, no, we'll leave yeah. it at that. Um, yeah. I hope she never does. Uh, my point is for this guy, I don't see why you can't do both at this point. You're still at the stage where, <laughs> hey, well, hold on, listen, just hear me out. So at, at one point, there's this woman who's, what, 20? She said, he said she's 20. And she's, no, 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 no. They met, which one, six footer or five? The four? Six footer. I thought she said she was foot, a 20. Yeah. No, 20 she's 27. Oh, she's 27. She's, okay. She's uh, 27. Okay. And I think the five, four girl's also 27. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. So I don't think, I don't think either of them are going to grow. All right, great. So, so rule that out. We hadn't <laughs> touched, we hadn't addressed that part of it. Great. But like, so she's going to be what, like, this is not her last season ever, right? And I mean, how long is the off season? Basically, you're going to be in this weird talking stage where she's going to be like, maybe I haven't even thought about you that way. And then I'm going to go to Europe as a hot girl who's an athlete and or wherever she's going. And I'll be back in a couple months or something. So, I mean, either way, you're still like kind of feeling things out. And this ex that kind of reappeared is also like, She's not, it's not going to be like, Hey, are you talking to anybody? Where have you like, Hey, I saw that. Who's this like in your Instagram? You're, you're in this early stage anyway, which is in the feel out stage, which you could still say I'm dating around. So I still think, I think you could sort of kind of put your lines out there and see who's tugging is what I mean. Cause it's, this is a, still a low stakes thing. <laughs> Obviously you've been thinking about, you've been thinking about the, who's tugging the, the, <laughs> the, the ball player. And I just think that, I think that you, you could totally do both at the same time. Definitely have to talk to the ball player. Cause you're going to be, if you do have, actually do end up with this old girlfriend, you are going to be thinking about it. So I think I don't see anything wrong with just casting some lines. I'm glad that you've got like two people that you're, you know, think would be receptive. I, I wouldn't worry. Yeah, about yeah. I mean, some people have zero. So you might be right. You might be in. To you might totally be right. Like, who cares? You know, everybody's in their 20s. Nothing's set in stone. I do think this is where you give the emailer credit, James. You give him credit for actually, you know, this guy's a real planner here. You know, this guy's really thinking it out. And in a way, he doesn't want his heart. He doesn't want his emotions to be twisted up by continuing with five foot four, knowing that it sounds like his preference is six feet. So he that's why he got off the dating apps. That's why he's kind of pre-dumped everybody. I think there's a difference between logging out a hinge and then like, you know, seeing... logging out a five four. <laughs> and, no. And then <laughs> and, sure. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I think I think you guys are underselling five four because he literally said that he thought he was going to marry this girl. They didn't break up because they didn't like each other. They broke up because of you know some odd circumstances. He never even thought this was an option. Now she's back in his life. Like I I wonder if he actually if 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 he cares about her more and that's way more of an option than you guys are giving him credit for. 
But even if he does, he could still be driving himself crazy, like pulling up the other girl's Instagram, being like, does she have any new highlight vids? Like, like maybe you could just, just yeah, just see if this goes anywhere. And if she's just like, yeah, you know, thanks. I just got a lot. Got the kid. Got What's seasons. Got practice. That, though, I mean, like, I don't know. How are you go? even going to know? How are you even going to know is what I mean. Like, I think it's totally fine to to take a, you know, take a shot at each Give one. Give yourself a couple months to like try both of them out and then and you got to make a decision. I mean, the, the one is probably local, right? The the X is probably local. The other one is going to be here for, you know, a good time, short time, not a long time or whatever the saying is like she, she's going to be gone soon. Right. So, I mean, you kind of really only have a little bit of time to even see what's going on here. here. Here's the thing, like the waiting it out. The reason why, even though Saruti, I kind of agree with you because your buddy in the New Zealand scenario if you're almost too aggressive and then the girl gets to New Zealand and she kind of wants to be single and experience the whole thing instead of all of a sudden starting this new long distance relationship. Although, you know, it doesn't mean, hey, we have to date and check in and then, uh, you know, six months in a day, I'll be at Bradley International waiting for you here. Uh, there, there's a way to do it. But I also just think at times when you don't show any interest because you're you're timing it all out on this schedule that you think is most optimum, you can fuck things up too. And let's also add this. And if she's really attractive, and she's six feet and she's playing international basketball, there's a really good chance there's some male basketball players that have also shown interest in her. So like if you wait that out, knowing that she has some real, you've got some real competition here and then she comes back and says like, oh, I never even knew that you were interested because you were waiting until trade deadline. You know what I mean? Like you, you're dealing in some, Mm-hmm. some deep waters here That's a risk. with yeah. a lo- lot of other dudes. You know, it's like if you see a hot bartender and you think your window's there, be like, oh, I don't want to play. Like, man, don't fucking wait. Like, find out. Because if there is a window where she's available, the idea that she's going to be available for like six months as you figure out your <laughs> perfect timing strategy, like she's a hot bartender. Guess what's going to happen? There's a million fucking guys firing her. And at some point, some point, she's going to say yes to one of those other guys while you're trying to map out, you know, the most... uh optimum moon position here so uh, here's what i would do in my 20s i'd keep sleeping with five four and then i'd probably dm six foot on the side and just see how it was going so i mean i know that's a shitty answer but that's probably what i would have done back then actually i'm not gonna say probably it's a hundred percent what i would have done so you're in your 20s you know that was probably the most real answer but i do think it's admirable that you're kind of like i don't want to do anything to anybody else or even do anything to myself is six foot is your preferred mating partner All right. There you go. We did three for you today. Uh, College football rankings Wednesday. Uh, We've got a special author coming up Wednesday. It has nothing to do with sports. It has everything to do with the future of the world. And then we're going to do Todd McShay this week and also Colin Quinn. We were able to book him uh, right after I saw him in New York City this summer. So fire it up. Please subscribe. Ryan Russell, the podcast. Thanks to Saruti. Thanks to Kyle. Ringer Spotify. Talk to you Wednesday. Bye.